right, that we are aligning with, that God is love and therefore I am always in that presence of love. And that really, we talked last week about the power of prayer, that that is really the purpose of prayer, to remind ourselves that we are one with that divine power and presence and have never left that oneness. And so let me align my mind once more with divine mind. So last week, we had a prayer, uh, a whole service on prayer, standing in the gap. And so your um, spiritual practice this week was prayer, right? To stand in the gap for yourself or for another and to be that place of truth. And so how many of you took on the practice of expanding your idea of prayer this last week? Oh, good. I see some hands. So I want to give you an opportunity to share any insights, ahas, new understandings that came to you as a result of that practice. And so I wonder if there's anybody who would like to share that that took on that practice this week. Eileen. And then, did I just stop? Stop. Oh, you're waving. No, not me. Eileen. It's not really an aha moment. It's something that I learned when I went to Catholic grade school that whenever you see an ambulance or a fire truck, you always say Hail Mary for um, the people. And so that's a conscious practice I've always done. Yeah. And another one is when that person cuts you off or does whatever, I'd always say to my kids, say a prayer for that person, say a prayer for that person. And I would say a prayer for that person. Yeah. So how many of you, when you hear an ambulance or you hear a siren, you go right to the prayer for protection? That's what I typically do, right? Yeah. So that's a great practice to remind us to center in those moments. Thank you, Eileen. Anybody else have something that they'd like to share? Karen. So I've been looking at prayer from the perspective of working on forgiveness with people in my life and how powerful that has been. I've been using the Ho'oponopono, the Hawaiian chant, to um, work on um, forgiveness. For those of you that don't know, it's I am sorry, please forgive me, I love you, and thank you. And it's a really beautiful prayer, and I'm so grateful that it's come back to me again from many years at least in in this moment. And um, that's what I've been working on. Yeah. So we see you moving through that forgiveness practice through the power of prayer. So prayer is here to remind us of our truth, to recenter us there, and that's the true purpose of prayer. So we're moving on. This is actually our final in the series. We started this year with this idea that we are overarching theme, right, of perfect vision and then seeing through a spiritual lens. And so we began by talking about this year the ideas that unity offers that can help you to see through that spiritual lens. And so we've been going through basic unity teachings and basic unity ideas. And so we have made our way through many topics, and today we are arriving at the Bible And before I get there, I want to say this. One of the things that I love about unity is that we are told that unity has no dogma, right? There's nothing that you must accept in order to be here in unity. That does not mean that unity doesn't have teachings. And so what I'm sharing with you are some teachings of unity because unity does have these teachings. But what you are encouraged to do is to just simply in this moment open up your mind to a new way of understanding something setting aside your own belief system, what I called the other week your BS, which we all carry with us, right? Set that aside for a moment. Give yourself this opportunity to open to seeing things in a new way. And then when the service is done, if you want to pick back up your old beliefs, go right ahead and do so. 
But maybe you'll also carry with you one little nugget that you hear today that can begin to feed in your consciousness and give you a new way of understanding. So today's topic is the Bible, a new look at an old book. And so you'd think that unity would all be in agreement about what the Bible is to unity. And so it was really interesting because a couple of weeks ago on our Facebook page that is all Unity Ministers, the question came up and it was, somebody said, you know, I was just asked whether or not unity is Bible-based and I didn't really know for sure how to answer that. How would you all answer that? (laughs) Right? So there's a voice. Yes, hopefully, partially, you know. So we've got a whole variety of answers and guess what? So did the Unity Ministers, Right? Like there were some that said, of course, the Bible is the basic textbook in unity. So, of course, we are Bible-based. And other people going, well, we use the Bible. We speak about the Bible. We share from the Bible. We interpret the Bible metaphysically. But would I describe unity as Bible-based? I don't think I would do that. Right? So, this whole right on the unity minister's page, not quite agreement on what is the Bible in unity. So, here's my perspective. So the Bible has been used throughout history for a variety of reasons, right? It has been used to justify a lot of different behaviors. For example, the Bible was used to justify slavery in this country when slavery was legal. The Bible was used to justify the um, different races and that the white race, you know, was was the... um, How would I describe it? The best race? The superior race? Thank you. The superior race? It's been used to justify that, right? I read a couple of books this last fall, and one of them was a book that was written about the life of Derek Black, Rising Out of Hatred. Derek was raised in the white nationalist movement, in which the white nationalist movement uses, they would describe themselves as the KKK, as a Christian movement, using the Bible to justify the the beliefs that they hold. And how Derek Black came to an awakening that this was not correct to hold people in this way. And so he woke up from that. Another book that I read last week was one called Unfollow last year. Unfollow. It's the Megan Phelps Brooks story. I think that's that's right. Um, And her grandfather, Fred Phelps, was the one who began the Westboro Baptist Church. And she, at a very young age, like five years old, was standing on the picket line with her pickets about, you know, how um, being gay is an abomination to God, right? Literally interpreting scripture for their belief system. And now not only do they go still, right, to um, picket uh, at, for example, a funeral from somebody who was gay who perhaps died of AIDS or whatever it is, because that's how it began, but they also go in and picket to the funerals of our, our soldiers, our servicemen who have been killed. And their pickets there are, see, it's because we are such a, a country that has devol- dissolved our morals and God is, you know, punishing us and we must wake up, right? Like that's what those pickets are about. So it's taking Scripture and an understanding of Scripture and using it from my perspective, you know, to continue hatred. Although from those who are grounded in Scripture that way, their idea is this isn't hatred, this is love. We want to save you from hell, for goodness sakes. You need to listen to us. So this is the most loving thing I can do, right? So 
things get perverted from an idea that I have that this is hatred to an idea that, no, this is love. And so has Scripture been used throughout time? It was about a year and a half ago that we were told, based on a new policy, United States policy, that we should pay attention to Romans 13. Well, what does Romans 13 say? This was justified for a, a new policy, that policy being that we would separate children at the border from their parents, which was the new piece about this was we would do so consciously in order to stop people from coming. Because if they knew they came and their children were going to be separated from them, they would stop coming, right? And so there was a great uproar about that idea. And the, um, the idea was, the defense was, well, you need to pay attention to Romans 13. So here's what Romans 13 says. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities have exist, that exist have been established by God. So in other words, here's an idea that we are just simply to accept what the governing authority says. And we have to, in our minds, reconcile that scripture to the injustice that we say happening. Do we not call out injustices? Because the government has made unjust laws. And quite interestingly, that chapter 13 in Romans is followed by love fulfills the law. Right? So here we are. We've got to decide. Here is this scripture. What do we do with this? And I don't think any of us in this day and age, in this country, can get away without reconciling some of these ideas of what Scripture has given us with what we believe about it. So, for lots of reasons, unity does not accept a literal and inerrant interpretation of Scripture. Literally and inerrantly, the Word of God. That is the defense that is taken by those who use Scripture to defend what I would call unhonorable things. But this is what the Bible says. And it becomes literal, and it becomes inerrant, and it becomes something we can't question. But that is not Unity's look at the Bible. Unity looks at the Bible from a couple of different perspectives. Number one is it has the story, a historical story. It's got the historical story of the Jewish people, right, and their exodus, and, and their reestablishment in, in the promised land, and all of that story, all the way through to the um, New Testament that tells the story of Jesus. So it, it's a historical document that provides us with the story of history, if you will. Unity also looks at Scripture as our own individual stories, beginning in Genesis with our creation and then our fall, our fallen consciousness. And what that means is our fallen consciousness from the understanding that we are one with the divine to believing that we are separate from the divine. That that's really what that creation story was about. What Adam, man, is about. That we have lost our way of our divinity and fully come into awareness of only our sense consciousness and that we're operating from that place. And from that place, we are operating in error. And that all the way through Scripture, all the stories that are given are opportunities for us to take those stories, apply them individually to my life, and ask, how do I transform my consciousness from a belief in separation 
to the end of the New Testament where Jesus comes along and reminds us that we are one with the Father. We are one with the divine. We are the light of the world. So we have each of the individual stories within Scripture that are stories for us of how to transform our consciousness from a belief in separation to a knowing and a remembering that we are one, and from that remembering to come from a place of love, because love is the fulfillment of the law. So what unity does with Scripture is metaphysically interprets the Scripture. It says it's not literal and inerrant, but it has a message for you and I. A message that we can take and we can apply to our lives and learn something about waking up, remembering we're one with God, and living from that awareness. A metaphysical interpretation. So a metaphysical interpretation is a little bit different than typical interpretation that you might be used to. In metaphysical interpretation of Scripture, every single character in a Bible story is you. So what we typically tend to do is to read a Bible story and we'll go, oh, I know, Uh, Martha here reminds me of so-and-so and and Mary here reminds me of so-and-so, right? But that is not metaphysical interpretation of Scripture. Metaphysical interpretation of Scripture is that Martha represents one aspect of me and Mary represents another aspect of me and Jesus represents yet another aspect of me, but they're all reflections of me. And what do each of those characters have to teach me in that particular story? The other thing that I love about metaphysical interpretation of Scripture is there's no wrong answer. Because we are each looking at a story from whatever level of consciousness we are in in that moment. We are engaging in that wisdom that is within us. And asking, what does this story have to teach me at this particular time in my life? And as times change, as our consciousness transforms, that story may mean something different to us a week from now or ten years from now than it did when I looked at it the first time. And not any of those interpretations is wrong. It's simply speaking to us at whatever level of consciousness we're at in that moment. So what does metaphysical Bible interpretation look like? What can we use this? So I thought I'd start with a very simple story that you all know, that you all recognize. It's the parable of the lost son. And I'm going to remind you of the story by reading the scripture. It's a little bit long, but you'll follow along. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when his, this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost. And he is found. And that is the story of the prodigal son. Which is typically given as an idea that, you know, we, we leave the consciousness of God and we go out and eventually we return and God is always there ready to welcome us back. And that is in keeping with the metaphysical interpretation, although I think that there are some layers and levels and nuances to it that we can explore. So with that idea, we've got the two brothers and the father. We've got the servant coming and bringing the gift. So who do each of those people represent? Us. Each one is a character in our story. Each one is a character in our story. So in metaphysical interpretation, any time in the story there is Jesus or the Father, what do you think that that might be? Right, that inner divine power and presence. Right, that Christ spirit within, that I am presence that is within you and within me. Not separate from, not some God out there or some Jesus out there, but that divine power and presence that is me. That divine power and presence that is always and forever, that I am always and forever connected to, even when I forget it. Right? Sometimes, even though each of us here knows this, anybody here not know that? Anybody here stay in an awareness of that power and presence 100% of the time? No. We move to a place of forgetfulness again. And what moves us to that place of forgetfulness? What moves us to that place of going out and experiencing life yet once more, thinking I'm going to find what I'm looking for outside of myself? Temptation? Lack? Conditioning? Ego? Fear? Errant thoughts? 
Okay, how about this one? Curiosity? Like, what if it's not even something that's condemning that moves us out? You know, like, I know I should stay here, but I'm going to go over here. You know, so it's not really that we're operating from this evil intention, but we just get curious. What if it's sometimes that? That can happen, can't it? So there's lots of reasons, lots of reasons that pull us out of that awareness of the divine. And as we get pulled out of that awareness of the divine, we begin to look out into the world and we begin to think that there's something out in the world that is going to give me that thing that I think I am lacking in. How do you and I do that? And not only just once, right, because typically that's how the prodigal son story is presented is like it's this one time we leave and then it's this one time we come back and everything is good. But it's a constant moving in and out of consciousness, aware of the divine and then believing we're separate from the divine and then aware of the divine again and then believing we're separate from the divine again, right? So something out in the world catches our attention again and it pulls us for whatever reason out of that awareness of the divine and we begin to think, oh, I will finally experience my joy when? Fill in the blank. When I have kids. When these kids grow up. When I find that job. When I'm finally able to retire from that job. When I move to this new home. Well, when I leave that home and find another new home. Do you see how we do that, all of us, continuing to seek out there for something that is finally going to fulfill us? We do that throughout the day just a part of our living, right? So, so we move back out into the world in our consciousness again, thinking we're separate from that Father, that divine power and presence, Mother, Father, God, divine mind, consciousness, universe, love, whatever word you want to give it. And we seek fulfillment there. And eventually, many times throughout the day, once, maybe not at all, but eventually, we come back to an awareness that, you know what, this has not fulfilled me again. Here I am, hungry, hungry for something else. How many of you feel hungry for something more throughout your day? You realize again, oh my goodness, here I am, thinking that was going to fulfill me. It's not fulfilling me. I'm hungry for something more. What am I hungry for? And then you remember again, oh yeah, I'm hungry for my father's home. I'm hungry for that awareness of my divinity. I'm hungry for that awareness that who I am in truth is the divine. So I'm going to return there. And that power and presence within you doesn't even wait for you to get fully there, fully demonstrating again. The minute you make that awareness and the minute you make that um, idea in consciousness become real again, I'm going to choose something else. The spirit is right there meeting you. In the story, it said the father saw him coming from a long way off. The father didn't wait until he got it perfectly right. The father didn't wait until uh, he understood I'm back in the presence of God. But from a long distance away, when that idea first arose in consciousness, this is not fulfilling me. I need to return to the truth right then. That awareness of God was right there waiting to welcome back. How many times in your day or in a week or a month or a year do we go through that very process over and over and over again? And each time that we make the conscious choice to return to an awareness of the divine within, we are welcomed back. 
And a servant comes along. Because the father has ordered the servant to bring what? A, a coat. A ring. And shoes. Right? Unity has a couple of tools that we use in metaphysical Bible interpretation. Two books that Charles Fillmore wrote. One being the revealing word, which takes simple words like ring and what does that mean. And the other, the metaphysical Bible dictionary that tells us what like, um, certain names mean or certain places mean within Scripture. And so, if you look at the metaphysical interpretation of what does that coat mean, right? It's, it's, it's putting on a new um, awareness of consciousness, lifting myself up to a new awareness of consciousness. I am being cloaked in a new awareness of consciousness. And the ring in unity, in metaphysical Bible description, says it's either, you know, power or divine love, which is, of course, power, right? So it's coming back into an awareness of that divine power, that divine love that is within me. And feet always represents understanding, new understanding. So I've come to a new understanding of my power, and I raise up in consciousness. I put on that new understanding, that cloak of new understanding. What do you think the servant might be? That's us too, right? Yeah, at least. So the servant might be signs that this change is coming. Here is this new level of consciousness. Here is this ring giving you, reminding you of your power, of your love. Here's some new feet so that you can get a new understanding, new sandals for your feet, new understanding. So perhaps signs. Anybody else? The servant. What does the servant represent? Will. So say some more about that, Jennifer. Jessica. So our will, our ability to choose again. But now, what are we choosing? We are choosing to align our mind with divine mind. We are choosing to follow the, the ideas of divine mind. Go get a cloak. Go get a ring. Go get shoes. Don't argue with it. So those thoughts that are now being willing to be ordered, if you will, by divine mind consciousness, by that power of love within us. And as we do so, we are welcomed back. We can leave again. And if we leave again, we'll be welcomed back again. But now the part of the story, the character of the story that always gets left out is the brother. We hardly ever hear about the brother, right? Well, what part of you is represented by that brother? Self-doubt. Self-esteem. Hey, what about me? What about, I've been trying really hard here. What about me? Why haven't I received these gifts, right? Ego. Envy. Ego mind. So also this loyalty. So how many of you have ever had this idea that you look out in the world and you see somebody that seems to have it all, but you also know that they are living a life of riotous living, not aware of that power and presence. Do, do anybody see people like that in the world? 
And when you're there, do you ever have this thought of, well, come on, God, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not experiencing those blessings. What's up with that? Anybody ever have that thought? So we compare our experience with the experience of another and, and begin to think from that experience, well, here I am. I haven't left. I ha- I'm doing my prayer work. I'm meditating every day. That practice that Joanne asked us to do each week, I've been doing that. Why, God, why am I not experiencing? And what's the answer? You have, you have never left. You have never left this oneness with the divine. So even though you may think, I have been here praying and meditating and doing all of this work that I'm supposed to be doing, as long as you've got a thought in your mind, then why hasn't this happened? You're still stuck in lack and limitation and doubt. You have actually left divine mind consciousness when you have those ideas. Because look, the Spirit of God within you says you've never left. How could you ever feel any lack, any limitation? You've never left. So let's celebrate that. So that's a metaphysical interpretation, mine, of the prodigal son. Yours may look completely different. I invite you to think about that. What do each of these characters say to me? How might you disagree with what I say? And where might you agree with what I say? And the beauty is in unity. Yes, you're all right. You're all right. But let us move from this place of using the Bible and using the Scripture to beat each other and judge each other over the head and instead recognize and realize love is the fulfillment of the law. And how can I use Scripture to be that place of love? What does Scripture have to teach me to be that place of love? So we're going to practice this week. Anybody want to join me in a practice this week? Yeah. What is our practice this week? Oh, take a simple line from Scripture. So I actually offer you one. God is our refuge and strength and every ever-present help in trouble. That idea. Or any other one that you'd like to contemplate this week. And sit and give yourself time each day this week to hold that Scripture in your mind. How does that speak to me? What is that saying to me from this book of Psalms? How can I apply this in my life? How can I use it to transform my consciousness? How can I use it to move out of a place of lack and limitation to the truth? I have never left that oneness with God. That power and presence is my ever-present help. So we're going we're gonna to do that. And then how can you apply those words to change, to shift in the activity of your life this week? So now that you know the practice, who's joining me? Hey, I see most hands. And then you're going to come back next week and you're going to share with us. Right? What you learned. And the reason is because we inspire one another. We encourage one another. How do you take these teachings and actually do something with them? So they move from our head to our heart to a practical application. So I can't wait to hear your stories. I can't wait. Thank you. God bless.
Don't put your limits on my God. Don't tell me what I must believe. If God's going to do His work, He must be free. Don't put Him in a little box and say you must be orthodox. For the love of God's unlimited to me. Since beginning of creation, man's been worshiping his God in the hills or on the plains or by the sea. There are rules and regulations that have passed for generations on the way to worship God properly. Don't put your limits on my God. Don't tell me what I must believe. If God's going to do her work, she must be free. Don't put her in a little box and say you must be orthodox. For the love of God's unlimited to me. There are rules for every day and rituals on how to that will teach you how to love the Lord your God. But what is even stranger, and there really is a danger, we are worshiping the rules instead of God. Don't put your limits on my God. Don't tell me what I must believe. God's going to do its work, it must be free. Don't put it in a little box and say you must be orthodox. For the love of God's unlimited to me. Unlimited, uninhibited. He's high in the sky as well as deep inside of me. Talented Roberta, thank you for everything you do. And Jerry and John, thank you as well. <sighs> this morning service has been filled with prayer and meditation, music and message, all inspiring us to be filled with gratitude and joy. In that consciousness, we turn now to the spiritual practice of generosity as you share your financial gifts. When we join together giving generously as is disabled, we write strong as a community. In communion, your faith is nurtured and strengthened through unity's teaching as your heart is moved and your conscience is stirred. Supporting Unity Spiritual Center and thriving today assures its continued presence as a community of transformation and light. It assures us to our existence for future generations. You have what they call to be here at this time, and what a difference we're making in the sustainability of our beloved community. If you are sharing your gift during service, please hold it in your hand. If you give with a credit card, including those through the donation button on our website, please hold your gift in your heart. Please bless your offering as we affirm together. 
I experience prosperity in my life when I feast the richness of spirit. You all know this one. Thank <laughs> you. 